If you have your Bible with you, uh, go ahead and grab it and turn with me to Psalm 100. Uh, That's where we are picking it up together here this morning. We're taking the summer months to to spend a little time in the Psalms. Andrew introduced this series. We're calling it Pilgrim Songs last week, and today we're in Psalm 100. And so here's what I'd love to do is just ask you to stand with me uh, as we look together at God's Word to us this morning. Uh, This is Psalm 100. It's a short psalm, just five verses. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would, as we have already asked here today, that you would give us eyes to see you, that you would give us ears to hear you, that you would awaken our souls this morning out of the stupor of life, out of the monotony, out of the apathy, Lord, that you would wake us up, that we might be here and be present with you, or we need you. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Um, a couple weeks ago, uh, while we were on vacation, I, I spent I spent most of that week uh, not feeling very well. Thankful for the common grace of a doctor who's willing to call in some prednisone for me. Well, whatever. Felt pretty bad most of that week, and then on the last um, the last night of the vacation. Maybe you've had this experience before. Like it feels like it's winding down. You know, like it's over, and and we got to try and trying to cram in something there. On that last night, Tucker and I, uh, we went down to the beach. The sun was setting. The waves are are sort of gently rolling in. The air was starting to cool off a little bit, kind of like this morning, you know, just kind of felt like it was cooling off. He was was riding his skimboard, and, and it was beautiful, man. It was one of those like Psalm 19 moments where it felt like the heavens were genuinely declaring the glory of God, and I'm, I'm watching him run and drop the board and jump on it and skim across the waves. He's pretty good at that. And I had this song kind of playing uh, in my head, and I was alone enough uh, on the beach that, I, I don't know if I'm ashamed of this or not, whatever. I was, I was alone enough on the beach that I was like, Kind of singing it out loud, you know, like just, just, very, just, um, you know, whatever. And um, may have cried a little bit. I don't know. It was it, maybe it was the prednisone. Could have been, or that's just actually that's kind of how I function most of the time. Anyway, in that moment, I felt this like there, there was like a weight to it. Do you know what I mean? Like sometimes you're just in a moment, and you feel a weight to it. Like it shouldn't really be that big of a deal, but it feels. Like a big moment. There was a feeling of depth to it. Um, and I was sort of shaken by that, like in a really beautiful way. And I had this question come into my mind in this like sort of holy moment. And, and this was completely unplanned, all right? Like I didn't go down there expecting it. I wasn't searching for it. I, I mean, here's what the reality of it was. Um, Tucker and I went 
we went down there really to just get some like good clips of him riding the skimboard so we could maybe go viral on Instagram. That was really the hope. If we're just being honest, just get a really cool clip, maybe hit a wave, do a flip. I don't know, whatever it would, whatever it would take. He tried to flip, land on his head. He didn't try it again. Um, as I stood there, sort of pacing back and forth on the sand, um, this question came to mind. Here's what it was. What sort of church is God calling us to be? Like that was, I'm not making this up. You're like, that sounds like a good pastor intro. Like, sure. No, I'm, I'm serious. In this moment, that was the question that sort of flooded into my heart. What sort of a church is God calling us to be? What sort of a church as his people in his place bought by the precious blood of Christ? 1 Corinthians 6.20 says that you are not your own for you were bought with a price. And we would say, here's what we would say. We'd say that's good news. Right, that we've been purchased. What we just told the kids down there, that you couldn't pay the debt. Jesus came and paid the debt for you. That's the gospel. right? It's that Romans 5.8, that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ, that for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the good news for you today. So here it is. We're getting to the gospel early And this message this morning is that God has seen us in our sin. He's seen us in our brokenness. He's seen us in our guilt and shame. And in Jesus Christ, right, he has entered into the world. He hasn't run from the world. He hasn't hidden from the world. He hasn't forsaken the world. But in Jesus Christ, Jesus Messiah, God has entered into the world to achieve a salvation for us that we could not achieve ourselves. That's the good news. Okay, Jesus is the gospel, and in surrendering our lives, in surrendering our lives to him. Remember, we're not inviting him in. I I know people use different kind of phrase. We do not invite Jesus to do anything. He's God. He did not wait for our invitation. Okay? So I love love my Baptist friends. We do not invite Jesus into our heart. He comes and makes our heart his own. That's what he does because he's God. We're not inviting him in. We're not accepting him as though he's petitioning us. Like he's not lobbying for our votes. That's not what Jesus is like. Look, I promise it'll all be great. He actually says, take up your cross and follow me. He comes with the worst fine print on any contract ever. That if you come after me, there will be suffering. That's what he tells us. He's not asking us to accept him. We are, as Christians, a people of surrender. That's what we are. We surrender. That's what it means to trust in him. That's what it means to put our faith in him. Just like when we surrender by sitting on a chair, we're trusting it to hold us up. That's what we do with Christ. That by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, our sin has been covered. It's been paid for, right? That's grace. And it was paid for with his blood. So as his people purchased with his life, what sort of a people, what sort of a church is God calling us to be? And the answer I arrived at, standing there at the end of Hilton Head Island in the splendor of God's absolute masterpiece of a sunset that he was painting, the answer I came up with, we are to be a church marked by joyful worship. That at the end of the day, if you boil everything down, there's a lot of stuff we want to do, there's a lot of people we want to reach, but at the end of the day, if you were to go to what is our apex priority, It would be to be a people who are marked by joyful worship. And Psalm 100 
calls us to that. Psalm 100, there's actually three calls that we're going to look at here in Psalm 100. There's a call to rejoice, there's a call to know, and there is a call to proclaim. Those are the three calls that we're going to look at here today, to rejoice, to know, and to proclaim. And these are all, every single one of them, they are part of worship. And as we step into this, I want to try, I, want to, I do want to do this, I want to try and define what we mean when we say Worship. You see, worship, and this is critical, right? This is, this is, this is critical level uh, stuff here. Worship is something that we do. That, that's important that we realize that. Worship is something that we do. It's, it's the practice of expressing praise, thanksgiving, and adoration to someone or something. That's sort of the base level definition there. And as creatures who were made for worship, right? This is what we were designed for. We were made for worship. We have the unique ability among God's creatures of being able to turn nearly anything into an item or article of worship. This is what led John Calvin to famously say that the human mind, uh, so to speak, is a perpetual forge of idols, And so what we want to do is be clear that when we talk about true, joyful worship, we're talking about worship of the triune, living God, the creator and sustainer of all things. It's it's worship of the Father through the Son by the power of the Spirit. That's what worship is. And the call here, excuse me, in verse 1 of Psalm 100 is to make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. And that's actually a pretty bad translation. What it's really here, it, what it's really telling us here is it's a call to shout. It's to be loud. And I realize, I believe me, I realize this is going to be very foreign to, to some of us because we aren't loud in worship. Like we're bad about being loud in worship. Now we're loud at the game. Right? We're loud at the game. I've heard legends about how some of y'all get real loud at your kids' little league games. I've seen some of you at Williams Bryce Stadium on a Saturday night, but our version of loud in the church is often little more than a whisper. That's our tradition. And Presbyterians, by the way, we're the worst at this. I and mean, we're fundamentally bad about being loud in worship. We're not loud people. Our tradition dictates that we be decently and in order and so forth. And in a lot of ways, here's what we've done. We've quenched the fire of worship. But the call here, the call here in verse 1 is for a joyful shout. I love how the Christian Standard Bible translates this. It says, let the whole earth shout triumphantly to the Lord. In fact, most English translations are going to render this as shouting to the Lord. Our ESV translation about this is tame a version of this as you're going to find. We've sort of sanitized it a little too much. Back in 2005, uh, we had the opportunity to go over to uh, Augusta National for the Masters. Laurie and I went, and, and, we, uh, and, and this was an amazing experience. We went over there. It's, like, it's, it's just an incredible environment all around, and we found us a good spot to sit and watch, and we saw some, some great shots, and the people would clap, right? Like this is... You, Clap for everything. Yeah, yeah you, and you know the joke about a golf clap, right? It's, you know, it's very, it's very tame. It's very quiet. On this particular day, we were sitting on uh, hole number 17. We were watching them 
putt because we had gotten there too late to get a good spot anywhere else, and that's kind of like a hole nobody cares about. So we were sitting on 17 watching them putt, and every single player that came through, and when they put the ball into the hole, they would the, the gallery would politely clap for him. Even the poor guy who like hit it into the bunker and then three putted for triple bogey, he still gets clapped for, right? So there's like no real requirement that you do anything great on that hole. They would have clapped for anybody who came through. And then all of a sudden, here's what happened. We're sitting on 17 and we hear this like roar coming from a distance, right? I mean, it was crazy loud and everybody were whereas you immediately know you've chosen the wrong place to sit. I mean, that's what first hits you. We're in the wrong spot here, and everybody's going, what is, you know, what's going on? What's going on? And, and Laurie looks at me, and I said one word to her, Tiger. Because he's the only person that gets that type of a roar at Augusta National. Now, we didn't know what had happened, but Tiger had just chipped in uh, for birdie on number 16, right? Which and it was this dramatic one. If you remember that play, it was a great Nike ad where the ball just hung on the lip of the hole showing the little Nike check, and then dropped in. And it, I mean, it was one of these iconic moments. Now, we didn't see it happen, but we heard it. The whole earth in Augusta heard it. Everyone heard it. I would say all too often our worship tends to be a golf clap. Like it's an approving sound. It's a courteous sound. It's a tame sound. It's even in tune most of the times. Y'all, y'all, y'all sound really good. It's a very sweet sound. When the salvation purchased for us by Christ is worthy of a tiger roar, right? It's worthy of a triumphant shout. It's worthy of a joyful noise. Now, to be fair, because some of y'all are like, well, hold on, I'm not a loud person. Sometimes God does call us to stillness. Sometimes he calls us to quiet. He calls us to tune out the noise. He calls us to turn off the distractions, to, to turn from the constant streams of information that we fill our minds with. He calls us in times of trouble. He calls us in times of sorrow. He calls us in times of anguish and loss and pain and in, and in fear. He calls us to be still and know that I am God, that in the midst of the storm, I have not changed. In the midst of the storm, I am still God. He says that in Psalm 4610, be still, but here, here as we gather in worship together as his body here on earth, as the sheep of his pasture, what are we called to do? We're called to make a joyful noise, to triumphant shout. Let's be really clear here that this call in Psalm 100 is not just a call to other churches. Like it's not a call to those churches or that church. The calling here from God is for all of his people, every single one of us, to be marked by joyful praise. I think some of us today are afraid of joy. I've, I've wrestled with this this week and, I, and we were talking before the service and I got angry talking about it. So I want to be nice. Um, because we're talking about joy, and it seems weird to be angry as you talk about joy. I am convinced that as a culture, and I think this is especially true within the church today, that we are afraid to be joyful. I think we're afraid to be joyful. I think us today, are, we're afraid, whether it's the social media world or just the persistent stream of bad news or just a culture of sort of trauma-based justification for everything. Some of us, many of us, maybe most of us are hesitant to express joy and especially 
spiritual joy. We're afraid of that. In fact, at this point, walking in joyfulness is rapidly becoming one of the most countercultural things that we can do. As I read this week, here, here's, I read this this week, if the truth of the gospel gets into our bloodstream, our worship will have an unmistakable note of joy. See, it becomes a defining mark of who we are as God's redeemed people. Here's what Peter writes, that, that though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Have we forgotten that as a people? I mean, have we forgotten the salvation that was purchased for us by the blood of Christ? So, so here's what's clear. What's clear is that a true biblical call to worship, it doesn't flow out of our tradition. Because we're not good at being loud. A clear biblical call to worship doesn't flow out of our culture because our culture is not good at being joyful. A true biblical call to worship doesn't flow out of some sort of sentimental longing and it doesn't flow out of a great bass drop up here that somehow gets your heart to move a little bit. Although, Fred, good try, man. I mean, every week. Thank you for doing that. That's not where it comes from. It flows out of. Here's where it comes from. Here's where true worship comes from. It flows out of our understanding of the nature and character of our holy God. It flows out of our identity as the sheep of his pasture. Look at verse 3. Here's what we read in verse 3. We read, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. For says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. In this psalm of joy, you see the whole focus of Psalm 100 is on God and then on our response to him. It begins with God and then our response to Him. He is the heart of worship. Just look at the references in this psalm to God. I don't know if you noticed this as we were reading it, but it's, it's, it's overwhelming, right? It's make a joyful noise to the Lord. Serve the Lord. Come into His presence. Know that the Lord is God. He's the one who made us. We are His, meaning we belong to Him. We are His people. We're the sheep of His pasture. It's His gates. It's His courts. We give thanks to Him. We bless His name. It's the Lord who is good. His steadfast love that endures forever. And His faithfulness that, that's to all generations. Psalm, Psalm 100 is about God first and our response to Him second. Because that's what all true worship really is. And this tells us something about what we aim for here in our worship. And I want to make this like abundantly clear. Our hope Every single week, aside from the fact that you would just be here, all right, which is base level obedience, right? Just being present with God's people. And I realize you're here, so you're like, why are you coming down on us? No, just seriously, just be here, all right? Just, just keep being here. It's okay. Our hope each week as we gather for worship, our hope is that through the songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, through the prayers, through the sacraments, through the word preached, is to set our hearts, is to fix our eyes, and to grow in the depth of our knowledge of who God is and what God has done for us. That's it. That's the test. Like when we roll the tape, 
and I don't know if you, like when we watch film and we do this, like I go every week and we watch through the ser- service and go, all right, all right, here's an area where we maybe missed. Here's an area where, usually it's an area where I missed. I'm very critical of me. And so it's like, all right, here, here's an area where we should have pushed. Here's an area where we should have, here's an area where we should have gotten more uncomfortable in worship. The test is not if you were entertained. Now, obviously, you don't want to put you to sleep. If you're asleep, please wake up. But it's to engage you in a service of worship that, here's the bottom line, that is not about you. And like coming into his presence, entering his gates, coming into his courts, here's what it does. It necessarily reminds us and necessarily removes the focus from ourselves. Like one writer said this, he said, gathered worship is a great reminder to me that the universe doesn't orbit around me. (laughs) Gathered worship is a great reminder to me that the universe doesn't orbit around me. Around me. You see, true biblical worship takes the focus off of me. It takes the focus off of my preferences. I don't care if you like every song. I really don't like, I want you to. We like them. But I don't care because ultimately we choose songs that glorify God, not you. It's taking the focus off of my preferences, off of my partiality, off of my taste. It's taking the focus off of my desires. What it does is it breaks me of the idol of me. That's what gathered corporate worship does. In her book, uh, Liturgy of the Ordinary, uh, Tish Harrison Warren makes the statement that Christian worship centered on word and sacrament reminds me that my core identity is not that of a consumer. You see, in our sort of capitalistic view of life, I'm not making political statements here. Don't come up to me at the end of this service and call me some sort of neo-anything. I'm not a ne- I'm not new at anything, all right? I'm as old school as it gets. But in our capitalistic view of life, here's what we do. We tend to see most things as needing to prove their value and worth to me. That's the way we see almost everything. It's the way we see it, the way we spend our time, spend our money, need to prove their value and worth to me. It's this sort of transactional culture in which we're constantly trying to prove our worth and our value to those around us so that they'll take us in. It's why social media is so toxic. And so we need to push against that consumer mindset, not just in the church, but really in, really in everything. And we need to reclaim our true identity. So here's what she says. She goes on to say this. She says, I am a worshiper and an image bearer created to know and glorify God and to know and love those around me. Being a worshiper is who we are. It's fundamental to our identity. This is the purpose for which we exist, right? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And when we come together as His body, as we come together as His flock, as the branches of His vine, as His bride, as a chosen race, as a royal priesthood, as a holy nation, as a people for His own possession, First Peter 2 says that this is so that you might proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous Light And it begins right here. It begins with us. I love what Jonathan Lehman has said. I share this in all of our Rivercrest Essentials classes. He says this. He says, A local church is a group of Christians who regularly gather in Christ's name to officially affirm and oversee one another's membership in Jesus Christ and His kingdom through gospel preaching 
and gospel ordinances. Have you ever thought of it in that way? That when you gather in worship, we are gathered to officially affirm and oversee one another's membership in Jesus Christ and his kingdom through gospel preaching and gospel ordinances. To affirm and oversee. You see, that's what church membership is about. On a base level, it's not about driving up the numbers so we can brag about the size of the church. It's not about me building my kingdom for my glory. It's not about competing with the other congregations around here for supremacy. It's, that's, that's not it. We gather in worship. We join ourselves to one another in membership as a public declaration of allegiance to King Jesus and a public commitment to his people. That's what church membership is about. And when we gather together, we declare his promises. When we gather together each week, we declare his covenantal promises to one another because, here's why, because we're quick to forget. Because we're quick to forget them. Because we're far too easily distracted. Somehow the created things of this world always seem to distract us from the creator. But gathered worship brings us back to the center. It brings us back to back to that place of balance, to that place of rest, to that place of truth and beauty so that we can know that the Lord, He is God. That it is He who made us. That we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Psalm 100 is a call for us to know what is true and what is unchanging. And it's also a call to proclaim. Look there in verse 5. It's a call to worship. It's a call to know the call to proclaim. Look there in verse 5. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. One of the blessings we've had here over the last few months is a string of covenant baptisms. I mean, it, and we got more coming. Like, they got my, the children have been complaining. I've been getting some mean notes from the kids, man. Like, children's message has been out. Like, everyone's frustrated with me, but it's okay. We're, we're going we're gonna to keep baptizing these babies. And in God's gracious provision, right, we have more to come. Those covenant baptisms remind us of the truth that the Lord is good, that His steadfast love endures forever, and that His faithfulness is to all generations. Our vision for this church is to bring glory to God by making disciples of Jesus Christ a gospel-centered worship, community, and mission. That's what we say. It's a very long way of saying a vision statement. We're probably going to redo that at some point, but for right now, that's what it is. To bring glory to God by making disciples of Jesus Christ through gospel-centered worship, community, and mission. And in some ways, we see that vision reflected right here in Psalm 100. We see these core values of worship, community, and mission right here. We want to be a praising people, like unashamedly a praising people. Like the people around you, not the people around you right now, but the people in the world around you, they should know that this is a part of your life. If they don't, that's on you, okay? I can only, I can, and it's not going to be because of a bumper sticker, all right? It's not going to be because of a t-shirt, and it's not going to be because of it's going to be because of the way you live your life is going to reflect the grace and the mercy of God in Christ. So we want to be a praising people. We want to be a people growing in our knowledge of God. And I will contend that outside of reading the Bible and having a true devotional life with you and the Lord, the absolute best way to do that is in the context of gospel community. To grow in your knowledge of God is, is, is the, the best way to do that is to be surrounded by people who are growing in their knowledge of God. And so there's a, there's a push for you not to sit on the sidelines this coming year 
when we launch our community groups. They are worth the time. They are worth the effort. They are worth the frustration. Yep, because we're real people, human beings, frustrating. And we ask you to sit in a house together. So we get it, right? We, we get it. They are worth it. And we want to be a, a, a people on mission. Just as verse 1 calls all the world to make a joyful noise to the Lord, verse 5 calls us to tell of his steadfast love and faithfulness to all the world, to all generations. But notice that worship doesn't flow out of mission. That's not what it says. It doesn't say that worship flows out of mission. It's that mission flows out of joyful worship. And it's dangerous theology when we get these two reversed. You see, mission is a temporal thing. Don't ever forget this. I sit in meetings with pastors all the time. They go, we got to, it's mission, mission, mission. And no, our primary game is not mission. It is worship. I love John Piper. He famously said, mission exists because worship doesn't. That if the people of God were worshiping, mission just happens. We don't have to try and budget for it. We don't have to try and make a new committee for it. It just is happening because this is overflow out of who we are. Here's what Habakkuk 2.14 says. He says, there's a day coming when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So listen, there's a day coming where mission's not going to be needed anymore. I mean, I love our missionaries, whether they're in Liberia or Spain, wherever they are. I love our missionaries, but their job, their job ain't going to exist one day. Also doctors. Because in the new heavens and the new earth, there's no sick. There's no COVID in that, okay? There's no need for prednisone in that. So I love, Dave, I love you, David Brady, but there's a day where our, our jobs don't exist. Jesus does not need me to pastor in the new heavens and the new earth, and he doesn't need doctors to prescribe medicine, okay? That's just how it is. I just called out a man. <laughs> Sorry, David. I love you. All, a lot of y'all's jobs aren't going to exist either, by the way. So just, just think about that. Think about your job, whether it exists in the new heavens and the new earth, and it'll humble you if you find yourself walking in pride. John, John paints this picture for us in Revelation 21 where Jesus is making all things new. And here's what he says. He says, and I saw no temple in the city. I love that picture. We're trying to get this building painted. Been trying for like five months to get this building painted. There's no temple to be repainted in heaven, Right? No temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of the Lord gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk. So listen, that's what's to come. That's what's to come. I can't wait for that. I remember the first Sunday when we launched as a church, I prayed something, and somebody came up to me like, that is the weirdest thing I've ever heard prayed. And I prayed that, God, would you come back this week so we don't have to do this again? Because I was so scared. I mean, we prayed that out loud. Jesus, would you come back so that we don't have to get up here and twiddle around on guitars and we don't have to try and hope that these stupid lights work and we don't have to worry about the foundation issues and we don't, like, there's a lot of things to worry about, but we don't, there's a day coming where we won't have to do that. What are, why are we so hesitant? Jesus, come back. Come back now. Let's get to that game right now, this is what's to come. The mission will fade. But for now, okay, for now, flowing out of worship, flowing out of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, flowing out of our understanding of this God of grace, flowing out of the mercy and love that we've been given in Christ as His new creation, sons and daughters, bought with His blood, sealed with His Spirit, held in His hand through every storm, through the wind and the waves of every ordinary day, we proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. By the way, this is why Rivercrest is called Rivercrest. That's the reason this church is named that. Sometimes we can get off of that. 
It's because we see worship overflowing into every aspect of life, every area of life, just like a river cresting over its borders, cresting over its banks. It's, it's because we, we see worship flowing into every area of life, just like a river, just like a river that has crested over its banks. It's not limited to where the culture tells us to keep it. It's not limited to this one hour each Lord's day, but it overflows into the rest of the 167 hours of a given week. And so you see, mission flows out of our collective joy in salvation. Now, the philosopher, Christian philosopher James Smith, he says this, We find joy when we look for the satisfaction of our hungers in the triune God who will never leave us or forsake us, when we find our enjoyment in an immortal God whose love is unfailing. That is rightly ordered love, and that is rightly ordered worship. If you've been alive for more than a minute and a half, and even probably within that first minute and a half, you have some concept of the fact that every single person you ever encounter will let you down in some way. Every single one. There's not a soul in this room who won't one day let you down. And we know that. That's why the reasons we're so hesitant to get into real relationships. But that's different with God. You see, there's joy in being held by our Heavenly Father. There's joy in, re- in having like a child reaching out their arms for their daddy to carry them. Like a teenager in trouble who needs help. Needs the help of a loving father. Like a new daddy holding that baby and wondering what in the world to do with it. Our father in heaven. He comes near to us in our moments. He comes near to us in our seasons. He comes to us in our times of need with his unfailing, steadfast love. Here's what the author of Hebrews says. Knowing the love of God. Here's what we're told. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Here's the last verse, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's the message that we proclaim. That's what we believe as God's people, that we have access to the throne of grace, that in Christ, by grace alone, we can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Have you forgotten that this week? Be honest with yourself. Have you forgotten that in moments of hardship? Have you forgotten that in moments of trial? Have you forgotten that when the kids aren't acting right, when the husband won't do what he's supposed to be doing, when the wife won't agree with you, whatever? Have you forgotten That in those moments of difficulty, you can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. In the times of doubt, times of struggle, have you forgotten that the Lord is good? Have you forgotten that His steadfast love endures forever? Have you forgotten that His faithfulness is to all generations? God gave us Psalm 100 to help us remember. He gave us Psalm 100 to help us know. He gave us Psalm 100 to help fuel our worship. My prayer will be and continues to be that we would be a people of joyful worship knowing that our Father in heaven is grateful for it, that he looks forward to it. Let's not waste that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and mercy to us in Christ. I pray that you'd forgive my small vision of what that is. I pray that you'd forgive us for neglecting or taking for granted these times that we're given. This time to set apart, to remember that we are not the king of a thing, but that you are. That you are our good and gracious king. 
You are our Lord and Savior, and you are worthy of our praise. Lord, forgive our Presbyterian golf clap. Help us to make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.